This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. Uh, my guest is joining me on this podcast, episode 186, from the uh, metro Pittsburgh area, Matt Katase from uh, Brew Gentleman. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Super excited to talk. Over the years, we've uh, tasted and reviewed a whole bunch of your beers, and uh, by my count, that's 10 beers that our blind panel has reviewed that have scored 92 or higher, and six of those are 96 or higher um, um you know a lot of uh high quality beers coming out of um uh your operation out there in braddock pennsylvania um excited to talk about this whole range of things um and i think that's one of the cool things that you guys do brew uh, excellent beers on everything from mixed culture saison uh of course to stout and barrel aged stout and then ipa you know being that that kind of classic uh um you know, mid-Atlantic, northeastern, uh, you know, kind of soft, hazy IPA approach, um, but with a real character that defines all those beers. We're going to dive into all, uh, all of those styles throughout this conversation. But first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. New this year, redundancy meets efficiency. G&D's micro-channel condensers are built with all-aluminum construction, which eliminates galvanic corrosion. Using half the refrigerant of conventional condensers with fewer brazed connections translates to a lower GWP and less opportunity for leaks. Call GD Chillers today to discuss your project or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. This episode is also brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and a nutty character. It's suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft-brewed versions of classic lagers. Let Raw North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. So Matt, let's talk about Brew Gentlemen. Let's do it. Um, give me give me the history in a nutshell. Um, you know how you guys got started. What was that entree to craft beer, and then uh, what what sparked you to start a brewery? Yeah, so it's always funny, uh, kind of reflecting because the the story of Brew Gentlemen started kind of in our college days. Uh, Asa Foster and I uh, both were freshmen in college back in two thousand eight. We were lived on each other's floor freshman year. Uh, we ended up joining the same fraternity, became pretty close friends. Uh, my junior year of college, I decided to visit him for Thanksgiving. And he's from Boston, and I'm originally from Kona, Hawaii, so the big island. Uh, and, you know, Thanksgiving break, it'd be hard to go home for that. But sure. we uh, actually happened to be reading a, uh, a book on the beer industry. It was Brewing Up a Business. Um, and we were kind of sitting there drunk on Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> and, you know, we're 20 years old. And I was like, hey, do you want to start a brewery? And he was like, sure, let's do it. I mean, I was a, so originally I was a, not even of legal drinking age yeah. quite yet. And here you were working on your business plan to, yeah. uh, to open a brewery. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I so my background is operations research. I was a math major and Asa was in the art program. 
And neither one of us were really thrilled with kind of what to do after college. Like, you know, we saw a lot of our friends going to the job fairs and all of this. And neither one of us saw that as, you know, where we wanted to play ball. Um, my dad was also an entrepreneur. He owns a seaweed farm out on in the Big Island. So uh, I grew up, you know, with, you know, on an aquaculture farm. Um, and, you know, it's funny because brewing is like agricultural manufacturing. So it's like the progression. Um, and, you know, Asa being from, you know, the art world and all of that, his uh, he was ready to just dive into something creative. And uh, it was cool because, you know, as we started to develop everything, we saw just how many different ways you could play and you know, how many different hats you could wear running a, a business like a brewery. Um, but yeah, the next day after that, we actually used our fake IDs to go on a tour of uh, Boston beer. Uh, I've told Jim this story too. And he laughed. He was just like, you know, what state was your fake ID from? <laughs> I hope that doesn't get him in trouble. Uh, but you know, we were so determined. Uh, yeah. and I think that spring break, I went out to San Diego and again, I won't even list all the breweries <laughs> right. whose fake IDs. I, but I mean, this, you know, this was, this was how, how badly we wanted it. And, you know, looked at getting internships and Spent my senior year really focusing on kind of writing the business plan, going out to the market, talking to folks. Uh, we kind of did the reverse of what I think a lot of breweries do, which is they are super into home brewing and they say, let's go pro. We kind of were so passionate about beer and the beer industry and we're so fascinated by it and said, OK, now it's time to learn how to brew, uh, <laughs> which, you know, yeah. is a little bit different, but it, it was, you know, exciting in, in, in its own own way. Um, so we ended up graduating barely. We almost got kicked out of school for, they called illegal distribution of alcohol to minors, so, <laughs> you know, whatever, just trying to pin us for anything. Cause sure, we, were, sure. we were brewing in our, you know, in our fraternity garage, uh, product testing. I mean, you, exactly. know, you have to do what you have to do. If yeah. that entrepreneurship is wrong, I don't want to be right. Exactly. So yeah, we, we kind of slid under the door, Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones style to graduation and uh, found our home in Braddock, which is about 15 minutes from downtown Pittsburgh. It's this richly historic uh, steel town. It's where uh, Andrew Carnegie kind of built his, you know, steel empire. The Edgar Thompson Works is still running to this day. I see it every day on my drive in. Our brewery is kind of in the shadow of this large behemoth of a facility down the road. Uh, it's also home to the first Carnegie Library. Uh, so, you know, you know, a lot of his efforts were philanthropic in his older age. And and so Braddock's got this, you know, incredibly rich history. And it was a town that fell on incredibly hard times uh, when the steel industry collapsed. Um, you know, it was kind of in a, it was left to its own uh, without a lot of support. And, um, you know, there was a, a mayor at the time who is now lieutenant governor, uh, John Fetterman, uh, who is actually, I think he's also running for U.S. Senate now. So he's he's kind of uh, been on his own career trajectory, but he was really kind of advocating for this reinvestment in this community that, you know, he so strongly believed in. And we saw it as, you know, the same as like we wanted to participate in helping, um, you know, rebuild a community and, and be part of something that, you know. Sure. You know, should you know, you know, these these this is the story of a lot of small towns everywhere in America right, right. right now. And uh, it's it's so cool that there was there was so much, you know, one rich history and an amazing, incredible beauty here and just an incredible community of people who have supported us along the way. 
And breweries are great uh, anchors, and which is why a lot of those kinds of urban renewal, urban revitalization groups look to breweries to kind of become that anchor. They become something that people can visit and they can make repeat visits to and uh, and build this kind of, you know, kind of critical mass of, uh, of traffic, which can, you know, help attract other businesses to that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and and no, it, it's a fantastic piece of that whole story, um, you know, when it works well like that. But let's mm-hmm. talk about that, um, you know, that creative process for you all as you dove mm-hmm. in to figure out what kind of beers you're going to make and uh, what the brewery is going to be about. Because, you know, you, you know you want to start a brewery, mm-hmm. but uh, there's lots of different kinds of beer that you can make. What, um, you know, t- talk to me about that kind of creative process of, of honing in what those beers are going to be and, and what they're going to taste like. Yeah, it's, it's funny looking back now because two of the beers from our original business plan we still make. I mean, they've evolved, but the idea and concepts behind them are still there. Uh, you know, our flagship General Braddock's, which is kind of our, you know, we, we don't call it a hazy IPA. We don't call it a New England IPA, but we call it an American IPA. But it is kind of that that soft, balanced, uh, hop forward flavor, not overly bitter uh, beer. And then uh, we also have kind of another beer that we do from time to time called White Sky, which was, you know, those were the two beers that we were brewing in the fraternity garage. Uh, and that was a chai wheat beer. And honestly, what it's developed, what it became was it became a base, that wheat beer base that became something that we did other additions to. And some of our, uh, some of our most beloved beers are actually a, a, a kind of a branch of that, that original brand. So I think as we got into it though, and as we had people in the tap room, we really started to refine and focus of, you know, what stood out to us. And for us, it was, it was balance. Um, there were a lot of, I mean, we were, we opened in 2014. Oh, that elusive word balance that means different things to whoever you talk to about it. It's so true. Um, and, and it's, it's funny balance is created, not found. Uh, you know, you really have to be intentional about balance. And I think, we, you know, we opened in May of 2014. We wrote a blog post that year called an ode to Hayes. And, you know, we got criticized for it. I mean, people were blasting us. We had, I had, I had a brewer from a brewery that now is no longer in existence. Tell me, you know, you have a problem with your beer. There's something wrong and all this stuff. So, you know, but the feedback from the customer was like, they really appreciated the mouthfeel and the, the softness of our beers. And, and so we've kind of, we extrapolated that and said, okay, Let's focus on General Braddock's and make that kind of our North Star and apply that same logic to all of the other beers in our portfolio to develop, like I think you were saying earlier, that that's that kind of that creative style. Yeah. You know, so you know you're drinking a brew gentleman beer. Sure, sure. And, and that is, I think, the the thing that I really enjoy about there is a through line between your beers um, within similar styles, you know, your IPAs you can tell that there's, you know, kind of tweaks and difference here, but that there's a core kind of similarity. How do you all define that? Is that an ingredient based through line? Is that a, uh, you know, is there some process piece to that? Is that yeast driven? Is that malt driven? Are there just core hops that kind of, you know, provide that, uh, that central thing? How, and how do you articulate that? Or is it simply a description that you all have, uh, you know, built out of, written language to say, hey, this is kind of, you know, the core of what this is. I think a little column A, a little column B. I mean, a little little bit of everything. I think uh, one of the things that we did as a young company was really 
dove into, you know, mission values, all those things, you know, a lot of books will tell you, you know, as a company, right. <laughs> this is, these are the things you need to build out. And one of the things that we talked about though, was kind of, uh, balance being, we keep things simple. You know, we don't try to overcomplicate things in a lot of ways. Um, simplicity is difficult to achieve. It's a lot of work to reach that. Um, you know, we are patient. We've been playing a long game. You know, I was just telling someone recently, we're about to celebrate our seventh anniversary, 10 years since writing the business plan, 11 years almost. And the brewery's finally starting to look like that original vision. So patience and playing the long game and that mindset and that intention going into a lot of our beers. I mean, I think if you have that as kind of like the overarching theme and the tone and the voice of, I mean, even just the way we interact as a team, it shows in our work. And, um, you know, I think from a brewing perspective, it really is keeping it simple. I mean, I have talked with people that are like, oh, I do this, I do this, and I'm like, I can't even keep up with you with, you know, what you're, what you're throwing out because it's just when you're coming out with a new beer every week and doing all these things, it's hard to even get in reps on a single beer that you're iterating on to know what any of those tweaks, how you're making, you know, any changes to them. Um, that was actually one of the things I talked about with, uh, with Tom, our, our head brewer was especially with a core beer, which we've, we've created with general Braddock's is the reps are really how you learn your shit because you are striving for consistency. You're striving for this product that is something that people are familiar with. So when you do these little tweaks, you actually notice it a lot more than, oh, I just did this with this one and it's gone. And then you do another one and it's gone, but it's, what are you measuring it against? So. Well, let's talk, let's talk a little bit more about how you do that. Um, you know, because I am interested like, you know, what, what that looks like, what the base of that beer looks like, what that range is. And then how you all articulate that, you know, what that process looks like for, you know, continuing to kind of tweak and, and to, you know, help idealize that thing that you can taste in your mind um, mm -hmm. if it comes that direction or it doesn't come. Ever, uh, but before we do that, the world of craft beer is a different place now. Margins are more important than ever. So why not lower your ingredient cost? Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard are the cost-effective solution for your fruit-forward needs. Old Orchard produces high volumes of their retail juice brands, so economies of scale keep prices low for their bulk supply program. A little concentrate goes a long way, and you won't lose some of it through filtering like you would with purees. To start increasing your margins now, head on over to www.oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, for years, Brewery DB has been the industry's only professionally curated source of brewery and beer information. In 2019, over 1 million brewery visits were made by craft fans searching for breweries on BreweryDB.com. In just a few weeks, BreweryDB will unveil an all-new experience to help craft lovers get back on the brewery trail. To take full advantage of the enhanced marketing power of BreweryDB and increase your taproom traffic, set up your account on MarketMyBrewery.com. That's MarketMyBrewery.com. It's easy and it's free. So Matt, talk to me about this. One of the things I'm impressed by is that, uh, you know, you all clearly have a palate. You clearly know what you want your beers to taste like. And then you, know, you also are working on that, um, you know, that technical end to help, you know, to figure out how to make the beers taste like that. Um, talk to me a little bit about that kind of creative process and then how, and, and some of the decisions that you've landed on, um, with that kind of, you know, a through line in your IPAs. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, what I mean, where it started really was just this 
like you said, everyone's got a different definition of what balance is. For us, I mean, we, even with the beer that we were creating, where we started was how do we build a bridge between the old school and the new school, right? We were seeing a lot of evolution of, you know, um, the New England style IPA as we were, you know, early on, you know, getting started. And we didn't want to go too far in that direction. Like everyone was trying to get more fruity, more juicy, more, more hazy, more this. And we were like, okay, where's the balance in here? Where's the like, you know, where's the restraint? And I think restraint is also a a critical word in all of this. Um, But I mean, I think we started with words first, honestly, it was what, what, what do we want our brewing portfolio to look like and sticking with soft balanced and with soft it's mouthfeel, right? It's totally just, you know, um, texture is a characteristic of beer that I think is often overlooked. Um, and easily for us building it up from water. I mean, you know, starting with the correct water profile that, you know, luckily we have really great water in Braddock. And, you know, just messing around with chloride to sulfate ratios, I would say there's no secret there. I mean, everything's online. Just, you know, it's, it's just it's just playing with <laughs> sure. what, what you like and what works. I, but I mean, doing that instead of just thinking adding more hops is going to fix things. Um, e- even with malt, I mean, we keep a pretty simple grain bill for a lot of our beers. I mean, base malt, some oats, but like, you know, I, I hear people doing like crazy amounts. And I'm like, you know, it's, you know, 20 percent. 25 percent you know nothing nothing too crazy um it's just one of those things that it's like almost like cooking like italian cooking like very or french i mean anything you know very simple ingredients it's like pasta salted water good cheese pepper that's all you need (laughs) it's like it's it's you know it's it's and love 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 is that key ingredient yeah exactly the (laughs) and, and love yeah uh, intention, but I mean, love intention. It's right, you know, it's right. it's that. So let's talk then about you know, uh, you know, you you keep it simple. You know, you are, um, you know, certainly trying to reduce the complexity. You know, and like Italian or French cooking, focus on high quality ingredients and maximizing the expression of those things. Um, you know, what what is that next step in your IPA design? You know, kind of approach take. Um, you know, you're now thinking about hops and you're also thinking about fermentation and both of those things work together to kind of, uh, you know, uh, help produce this end product IPA that you're making. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about the choices that you make in that realm. Yeah, I think, um, well, one with, in terms of fermentation, I mean, we don't rush it, you know, I know there's some folks that like to keep a, a schedule. They like things to be on certain days. So they just plan around that. Like we, we're normally doing like 17 day tank tank turns. So the schedule kind of falls where it falls. And, uh, we've got to plan around that sometimes. Um, I mean, there was a point where we were like, everything's got to be done in 14 days, two week schedules. And it wasn't working for us. The, the output was not where we wanted it to be. So I, and, and you hear that, I mean, you, you hear other folks say that too, like, you know, not rushing it, but it's hard to actually not rush it when the taproom needs more beer or a distributor's calling for more things or, you know, you got, you see the dollar signs. It's. And you got started at a really small scale, three and a half barrel brew mm-hmm. house. Like, you know, you got to make a whole bunch of beer mm-hmm. to serve a taproom out of a three and a half barrel brew house. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, letting stuff sit in tanks 
means you know having fewer beers to serve to people and uh i mean those become real issues for you yeah it makes scheduling harder too like it was it was nice when we had a schedule where it was like well every tuesday's this every wednesday's this every thursday's this but now it's kind of just you know it's it makes it a little harder but it's it's worth it um with hops i think so we don't go over the top with you know even bitterness it's a restrained bitterness you know small charge in the in the you know in the uh, kettle right at the start and some stuff in the world uh even dry hops nothing too crazy i mean that's a that's one of those things where i've talked to other folks and they're like we're putting this many pounds per barrel we're putting nine pounds per barrel as dry hop and i'm like we've never done more than three and a half pounds per barrel <laughs> like i you know and and but it's funny because you talk to someone from 10 years ago and they're like three and a half pounds per barrel that's insane um so it's i guess it's all perspective uh but i think it's just you know keeping keeping in everything in check is there is there some you know are there technical practices or, you know, anything else that you're doing to, to help kind of maintain that clarity of expression, you know, for those hops and the way that that fermentation works with them? Because, I mean, um, there is just such a nice character to the, you yeah. know, the beers that you brew. No, I, I it's true. I, I There is, I mean, the yeast, yeast strain is very yeah. specific and contributes a lot there, I think. I mean, with dry hopping, we we don't do, go too crazy. We we recirc the tanks, which gets a little bit harder with scale. I mean, we've learned that with the larger tanks. Yeah. But, you know, nothing nothing too crazy, you know. I mean, even when we have hate, like, you know, the haze from our beers, it's a byproduct of process, not the goal, right? We weren't setting out to make the haziest or, you know, you know, some of the, the things that I hear people doing to make it more hazy with, you know, rushing it and all that, all these things, like none of, none of that is what we're, we're looking to achieve with what we're doing. Uh, you know, and I like that idea of building a beer that people can keep coming back to over and over again, that doesn't have to be the thing that, uh, you know, uh, provides the most intense experience to them, but become something that they feel comfortable with. I mean, it's nice that, uh, you know, brewers are building hazy, you know, softer, um, uh, lower bitterness, you know, kinds of beers that um, people can be attracted to like that. Um, but I know there's something here and I keep trying to find it. Like, uh, you know, um, you know, there's also, you know, there is that kind of, you know, smooth character and building that balance. Now, talk to me a, a little bit about, you know, making those hops uh, choices, you know, for those mm -hmm. beers and then how you all build them and, and how you evaluate that kind of quality of ingredient. Yeah. yeah. So we, we used to have a rule where we didn't do more than three hops in a beer. I mean, that kind of was one of those like, you <laughs> yeah. know, old, old, old things just cause that was like, Oh, that's a, a constraint that we can do to keep it simple. But then we realized it wasn't actually doing anything for us. But, um, I mean, with general Braddock's it's, you know, we just say it's a blend. Uh, we don't actually put out what we put into it, but it's, you know, it's got some old school hops and some new school hops in it. Um, and that's, I think that's where we look at it of like, we wanted that beer to be, uh, you know, built, like I said earlier, building a bridge between that old and new school thing is like, the, there's, there's things that someone who drank craft beer five to 10 years ago still connect with. And there's things that the new craft beer drinker are excited by and they're you know it kind of caters to both in that sense um 
it's now we're getting somewhere, Matt. Yeah. And now I'm I'm <laughs> feeling it. And no, uh, but I also I, and and I love that approach. And I've you know you can taste that approach. And I mean I've written about uh, other brewers that are pulling in some of those kinds of things, making you know these softer, you know less bitter, hazier IPAs, and using you know things like uh, German noble hops or you know English Goldings or uh, um, you know or now of course you know things like. Um, uh, uh, Centennial or, or, you know, um, some of these classic sea hops from the Pacific Northwest that yep. in certain combinations can make for really nice, but they you know, also just, you're right. I think they remind you of these familiar hop flavors and mm -hmm. they feel comfortable, you know, yep. for you. Are, are there some classic sea hops, you know, or classic, uh, you know, American craft beer hops that you find you like the way that they work in your in uh, hazy IPAs or softer, lower bitterness IPAs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, General Braddock's actually started out as a as a uh, a very heavily Centennial forward beer. Um, we don't use Centennial in General Braddock's anymore. I will say that. Um, <laughs> okay. But uh, that's you know, I love that. I mean, yeah, Bell's Too Hearted is a, for sure a for shining sure. example of that hop um i mean even i mean even stuff like chinook and all of that like it right. cascade i mean it's i think we're learning new ways to use those same flavors in, in a in a more um you know less just for that that bitter charge and more for flavor uh and i think it's almost i'm not I'm, I'm a huge appreciator of music, but I'm not a musician whatsoever. But it's like that faint, like it's like that faint melody that you like chase. It's like that. It's there's that faint note of something where you're like, ah, what is it that you know that I'm reaching for? And it's it's right there. It's like right on the tip of your tongue. You don't know why you like it, but it's there. Like that's kind of, I think, something we keep in mind. If you're thinking about it in a broad term. How, you know, you, if you're pulling in something classic in a blend like that to try to kind of, you know, build this connection, you know, generally how much of, you know, your overall hops bill would, would something like that play? Um, that's a good question. I would, with General Braddock's, I know it's like 15 to 20%. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's not overly, uh, it's hinting at things. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not overly. It's not driving a main narrative. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's some other brands will get up into like the thirty percent range, but you know nothing where it's like the dominant one, unless we intentionally choose to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, are there uh, you know, and I, and I I know you want to keep some proprietary information around General Braddock, so we'll let you off the hook on that one. Mm -hmm. But are there some um, some blends of you know kind of classic and new school hops that you all find yourselves particularly drawn to, especially in some of your more experimental uh, you know maybe one off beers? Yeah, um, there's one beer we do that I really like that's got. Um, Simcoe and Mosaic. Is Simcoe, is Simcoe old enough to be a classic hop now? <laughs> it's like, that's actually like the, that's the turning point hop, I think, is Simcoe. Um, but uh, it, it fell out of favor for long enough, I think, maybe now to qualify in that way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You can't sleep on that. Uh, but I would say it's like a, it's like a it's Simcoe, Chinook and Mosaic hop beer that we do that I really, really enjoy. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones off the top of my head. 
I mean, you could probably pair anything with Citra these days and the customer will like sure, it, but I'm trying sure, to think sure. of like what I would actually enjoy. Um, that's a really good question. Talk to me about some of your wilder, you know, hop experiments and, uh, you know, even beers that may not have worked. I'm, you know, I'm curious about this. Just, uh, you know, you for a long time, again, you know, mm-hmm. you're in a different phase of the brewery now and producing more beer. But, you know, for a long time you were doing small batches and uh, a lot of the beers you sent to, to our reviewers, uh, you know, were in uh, rubber uh, cork stopped, uh, you know, 750 growlers, you mm-hmm. know, just because that was the scale of the brewery. Um, you know, and so you all were doing, yeah, you all have played in that kind of realm. Although interestingly enough, you also do seem to kind of come back to certain smaller number of, of cores, mm-hmm. um, you know, on a, on a regular kind of ongoing basis. But, uh, you know, talk to me about some of those uh, crazier experiments and, uh, you know, and what you've learned from them. Yeah, I, uh, well, experiments in, in, in what sense? Cause like there are some beers that I thought were phenomenal that I still wish we made and no one wanted to drink them. Right. Like (laughs) we like what, like what we have a beer that's like was single hop IPA pale ale with Hallertau Blanc. And I love that hop. I mean, I think it, you know, so beautiful. You get this like almost like, uh, white grape, white gummy fruit, like, but like very subtle. And I mean, I, I can't even tell you the the kind of comments we got about it of it not being <laughs> not, it not being this it not being that it's like well focus on what it is instead of what it is it isn't um, but we had kind of a whole uh, another set of IPAs that were named after our core values for a time and kind of all of those were ones that we were really excited about but they didn't connect with the modern consumer palate I mean we did one that was like uh we did a beer that was Amarillo, Chinook, Simcoe, and I loved it. I love it. I mean, it was like, it was a nod to a, a classic beer that we really enjoyed, you know, our interpretation of it, um, Celebration from Sierra Nevada, and, you know, obviously different pro- different hot profile and all that, but it was like kind of a nod, and it didn't sound yeah. well. You know, it's just one of those <laughs> things, you know, what do you do? For uh, for a couple of young guns that uh, came up with a brewery plan in there uh, before they turned to twenty one, you guys sure do love classics. Mm-hmm. You sure do have this kind of um, you know, I, I, don't know, I won't call it conservative, but um, very much of a rooted kind of approach to um, you know uh, taking this craft beer, um, you know, where craft beer has been, and also thinking about you know that that leading edge of you know folks that are pushing it and uh, you know finding a that kind of middle ground place it's uh you know i would it's less common to find younger brewers with that kind of uh, old soul approach to to brewing where'd that come from <laughs> i think we rode the wave really fast i you know i always talk about the uh the there's this curve that everyone goes through and it's you know you start just drinking whatever and then you go through and you want to try everything and all that and then you come back down in the end where you're like a simple lager will do uh, i think we went through that curve very quickly um, <laughs> um you know by being thrown into it right away but also it honestly came from asking a lot of advice from industry vets and talking with them and um kind of hearing the stories of some of these beers, like learning the histories of some of these beers. I mean, uh, you, it's, it's really easy to get lost in the moment and the fads of the things that are happening right now. But remember like beer is, and is, and has been around for a very long time. And there's a reason why the classics are the classics. 
And I think that they have stood the test of time. That's also an interesting approach because today um, there are, you know, certainly that building the beer as a brand approach um, is a little different. Uh, that's, you know, uh, for the, lo- the long history of beer, that's been the way, or at least in the, the, the post-war you know, history of beer in the United States, like that has been the thing. Like you had major brewery, but people didn't necessarily know the brewery. They knew the beer itself and that brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this more recent iteration of, of uh, or the last decade of craft beer has been driven by the brewery as a brand. And, you know, people go and the individual beers don't matter as much, but the brewery and that connection to the brewery and who they are and what they're making, you know, I'll go try two flights of, you know, and taste every beer that they have. Um, but I'm not going to focus on one in particular for you all, you know, you, you kind of focus both on the, the brewery brand, but also on those individual beer brands, especially with general Braddock's mm-hmm. trying to, you know, build this individual beer as its own brand along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that it's, it's a, it's <laughs> seems like a different strategy, even though it's one of the older strategies, uh, you know, what's all this new again. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's what's old is new again. I mean, that's uh, beer has been sold a very specific way for a really long time and we're seeing new ways it's being sold. And can we play in both? Uh, I, I think even with the idea of having a flagship and really focusing on General Braddock's is like, I mean, it, it says it right on the can, a beer you can always come back to. I mean, we wanted something that people were excited to buy a case of, not, hey, I want a taster in the tap room and that's it because even when we had you know the tap room was open and we had people in there constantly they would come in for the new beer and have a taster but they were filling their growler of general braddocks or saying like i'm gonna have a taste of this but i'm gonna sit down and have a pint of general braddocks and that was that kind of tipped us off to that too of like we want that to be the fridge beer right you know you can go and grab all these new beers and even from us we'll have new beers every you know every week and but we still always have general braddocks and i think that that is it's been key to um our mindset it's helped us solve a lot of business problems around that it's helped us solve a lot of brewing you know philosophy challenges you know of what we're trying to do and that like i said you know that's our north star so that that helps inform a lot of everything else we do and it 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 brings clarity sure sure um Let's talk about some other beer styles that you all brew because, you know, certainly IPA is a thing for you all and it's mm-hmm. a big thing for you, but it's not the only thing you do. Before we do that, the founders launched SS Brewtech with a very clear goal to advance brewing equipment design, performance, and quality to the very highest standards in the industry. With a team that draws upon strong functional backgrounds in brewing science, mechanical engineering, industrial design, supply chain, and manufacturing, SS Brewtech has the people and skill sets you want and expect from your supplier of pro brewing equipment. Head over to ssbrewtech.com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear. Also, when it comes to brewing, nobody has your back like Clarion because their food-grade lubricants are formulated to help make your brewing system 100% food safe. That means when you switch to Clarion, you can put the costly potential of contamination and recall out of your mind. All you need to worry about is brewing great beer. And since you already do that, well, it's more like focusing on business as usual. Go to ClarionLubricants.com to learn more. So now let's talk about barrel-aged beers. Um, you know, you all have a, a multi-pronged approach to that, both on the quote-unquote clean side and that kind of mixed fermentation side, uh, you know, with barrel-aged beers. Talk to me a little bit about what the program looks like and uh, 
um, you know, how, why you've, you've jumped into kind of certain areas in that, uh, that field of brewing. Yeah. I, our barrel program, I mean, so for the long, since our first anniversary, we've done a barrel age release on our anniversary. Uh, it's now coming up on seven years. So we're actually pulling barrels tomorrow, uh, to celebrate our seventh anniversary. We're doing a stout barley wine blend for this one. Um, but we've got a, you know, we, we've, we've Style always barley been, wine blends are so hot right now. Thank you. Are side they? project and Anchorage and, uh, <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it was, we, that's what we had in barrel. It was the, this is the first time we've actually been able to pick barrels out of our collection, which is fantastic. Cause now that we have the bigger brewery running, we've yeah. been able to do a lot more. They were so hard to brew on the small side. It was a nightmare. Every brew, I mean, a three and a half yeah. barrel system, the, the mash time was not set up for it. It was like, <laughs> there was one day, you know, we had gloves on and we're just like digging through it. It was, you know, it was a mess, uh, with the bigger side because it's oversized, we're able to do a lot more with it. But yeah, this year is a, um, we brewed a barley wine for next year so that we could do a two, two year aged, uh, barley wine for the anniversary. I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, but that's what we did. It, it, it's okay. There are no hype seeking beer traders that perfect. listen to this podcast. Yeah. Everybody's generally a brewer. That's, that's perfect. And so, yeah, we've, um, we've got that going. Uh, but even with those, we've always tried to kind of not do anything too over the top with that. I mean, our we do an annual release with Double Max, and that's coffee, vanilla, cinnamon. Again, it's not. We actually had a customer come in and say, can't you guys just be that for me? I just want the really big, super syrupy, like pastry stats from you guys. I know you don't do it. I know it's not your profile, but just be that for me. So I don't have to trade for them. <laughs> and I was like, it was like you one, you've identified that you know that that's not us. You understand the difference of what we're trying to do with our program, and you're still asking for it, which is kind of funny. Um, but you know, with uh, with kind of the the dark beers and stuff, our anniversary release and double max. I think we've got a couple more ideas in in the works on what we kind of want to do to flesh out that program. Now, like I said, that we can do it on the bigger side, um, and then we've got the the mixed culture side, which we started pretty early on. Um, we've probably, I think we've got some of the smallest fooders that, uh, fooder crafters built. We've got two little seven barrel fooders. Um, but with that, that, I don't know. I think, uh, Jeff Hardesty and narrow gauge also might, might give you a run for your money. Like he's got he's, some tiny ones. He's got some of the tiniest, uh, fooder crafter fooders that I've ever <laughs> seen. And they had to like fit within like a 36 inch door frame or something oh to get goodness. down in the basement. It's, it's crazy, but yeah. So, and, and but we, that's cute. Uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, but for us, we, again, I think people didn't realize how small we were, you know, between 2014 and it, this last year when we got the new facility up and running and we still said we wanted to do it. And, you know, it was really difficult uh, to pull off. I mean, and it was risky. So we said, we'll, we'll go smaller, smaller. And, and honestly, that, that market kind of everyone was getting super into it and I don't know how developed it's going to continue to be. So I'm almost glad that we have this like smaller program to play within. But for that, I mean, those are the beers I really love. I mean, it's again, even the beers in, in our portfolio that we make reflect that same idea of like balance restraint. Um, we like to say that table beer, uh, which is kind of the flagship of that program is tart. It's not sour. It's like lightly tart. 
And again, same thing. We keep a super simple base. It's basically like 66% base malt, the rest mixed oats and wheat. Uh, we ferment it clean. We ferment all the, those beers clean first. And okay. Yeah. So ferment. What do clean. you? Uh, we ferment clean. What do you? Uh, what, what kind of yeast uh, do you use for the clean fermentation? Saison strain. Just you yeah. Know, your your favorite one, whichever one you know. Uh, right. We then pitch it into fooders, and I think what we did early on, which was I think a lot of folks did early on, was they were taking the dregs from all their other favorite breweries that were making these beers at the time, and kind of just you know, threw them in there. We also add a little bit more Brett each time we move beer into the fooders. Hmm. And it roughly anywhere between six and 12 months in yeah. the fooder. I mean, it's, again, it's timing. It's kind of just patience there. Um, and then it takes another six to 12 months in the bottle. So everything's bottle conditioned as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if we're doing fruit for any of those, so we, we basically have one beer in our, uh, kind of mixed culture series, which is the base for a lot of the fruited beers as well. And with fruit, it's, you know, we pull it from the fooders, put it in another tank with fruit, and that's another two to four months in there. And then again, in the bottle. So these things, it's like, it takes so long. And we have a lull right now of any of these beers, because if you rewind the clock six to 12 months ago, that was when we were <laughs> building the new brew house and the new brewery. So we haven't been able to put as much, we weren't able to put as much energy into it then. So, you know, we don't have a lot of stuff coming out right now, but we've got some stuff in the works there. And I, I think the entire motto of that program is, you know, slow is fast. And um, again, keeping it simple, you know, I, table beer is, it's light, it's, it's bright. It's got this complex tartness. It's, you know, it's not sour, it's refreshing. It's every beer festival we go to, I bring a couple bottles and keep them under the table. Cause like people will come up to us and be like, do you have table beer? Cause we brought it to a number of festivals and pe- you know, brewers especially loved it. Sure. Um, and it's got that like really complex tartness. It's not, you know, some sours you can kind of tell they're kind of one note songs um and that's just you know the time and and whatever whatever dregs are living in in our fooders now actually next week there is uh a class so i was in the mellon college of science at carnegie mellon and i was in the math department but you know knew some folks in the chemistry department and there is a class that is presenting next week. They came and took samples from the fooders and basically, you know, studied it all semester long. So we'll see what the findings are <laughs> of what's living in there. But um, you know, it's even with that, it's slow is fast, balance, restraint. I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested in this, you know, pitching more Brett with each mm-hmm. new batch. I, I, that's interesting because, you know, typically people would assume, I mean, Brett of all of the bacteria and yeast that, and wild yeast that's in there is probably going to, you know, be some of the most aggressive and wouldn't need that kind of help. You know, what, uh, you know, but at the same time, if you're putting fully fermented beer in there, you're also creating a more stressful environment for mm-hmm. any of that stuff to, you know, to mm-hmm. exist in, um, you know, which certainly tilts it in certain directions. You know, what do you find that adding that Brett with each batch does that uh, wouldn't happen if you didn't add it? Well, we haven't done it without it, so I don't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things that we did the first time and we kept doing sure, it because it worked sure, and, we liked it where it went, and we liked where it went and we haven't ever done it without it. So maybe one of these times we will try. <laughs> 
But, well, in, I mean, uh, conceptually, as I'm thinking about it, I mean, it seems to make like if you want that more, you know, kind of, you know, punchy white pepper, you know, bready, linen-y kind of, you know, elements to it and, you know, dry and not as acidic, then, you know, favor it towards that Brett and, and push it that kind of way. Are there specific Brett strains that you guys, you know, are really attracted to that produce the kind of, you know, flavor that you, uh, you like out of, uh, out of them? It was Animala, Brett Animala. Animala. Yeah. It's a mix of, uh, Brett C and Brett Animala. Interesting. I don't, I don't know enough. This is the other thing. I don't know about, and that's the entire wild program has been this for all of us too. We're like, we don't know, like we're not the guys in milk, the funk, like getting super technical into all this, trying to discover everything. We're just like, eh, it works. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if that's risky or if that's a bad thing, but like, well, on the plus side, if things ever turn for the worse and you can't replicate them, it's a very small portion of the overall beer that you make. And so, yeah. Oh, yeah. so the net impact isn't going to be uh, outrageously huge. Um, you, you know, and, and do you, uh, with those kinds of beers, you know, there, that is, you know, the general creative process is to, you know, come up with a, a, you know, broad parameters and let the beer become what it becomes. But, you know, there's also that flavor approach that you take of wanting to kind of, you know, have this taste the way that you want it to taste. Um, how do you guys hedge those two pieces, you know, against each other and, uh, and create beer that, um, you know, that, that tastes the way that you want it to, despite you using a process that's very hard to control. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> that's basically why we said we can't have table beer be, you know, a flagship the way that General Braddock's is because that is so hard to replicate. But I think what we've looked at is this is going to be a living thing. This is going to evolve, you know, putting a batch number on it and just starting where we start. And if it completely derails, then we'll have to cut that. But like trying to keep it roughly in, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, you can you can see someone's parents in their eyes kind of thing. Like each batch is still like close to it hasn't derived so far from the kind of right. the source. Yeah. So um, and that I think that's where the timing comes into it. I mean, that's, you know, tasting the fooders once a month, checking in with them, kind of just seeing where they're going. Um, and then, you know, we've kind of seen what happened. I mean, we with bottle conditioning, I mean, it's roughly six to 12 months it, it takes and we'll taste them. We'll wait like three months to even taste the first one yeah. just to see. I mean, you know, we'll get that like THP character, that like Cheerios thing. Sure, and sure. it completely disappears after six months, a little bit longer sometimes. I'm really sensitive to it. So like I taste it right away. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just a, it's, it's a timing thing with that. And not getting too stressed about it. I mean, you kind of, that's, that's the beauty of those beers. Uh, And then I think the other key there is that word, you know, taste that uh, you all are very active in making sure that, you know, the beers that you release taste the way that you want them to taste, not releasing things that aren't ready to be released or don't taste the way that you want them to taste. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of restraint is hard, especially, you know, when you were a smaller brewery and, uh, you know, you made things, you need to sell things. Um, you know, how, how does that process enter into it? Um, and how often do you find yourself like tasting something like that doesn't taste the way we want it? How do we move or fix or, uh, you know, or push this in the direction we want it to be in? Yeah. I, I mean, through our entire portfolio, that's been the case, you know, we won't, if we won't 
blend a barrel if it's not good. We won't, you know, we'll dump a batch if it's not good. I mean, sure. you just, you just have like, those are like, you just have to do them kind of things. But, um, it hasn't, we haven't run into that a ton. I mean, with scaling up, you know, the first batch of GB wasn't there. We dumped that one. And since then though, it was like, that was like the, the, just the adjustment shot. Yeah. And then from there it's been, it's been, you know, going really smooth. Um, that's incredibly typical. I mean, you know, yeah. every, every, everyone <laughs> getting into one batch is actually pretty fantastic. Uh, you know, usually it can take at least two or three to, to get up to that point. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little more about, you know, barrel aged, uh, you know, clean beers. You mentioned double max, which is this mm-hmm. kind of, you know, Mexican hot chocolate approach to, you know, to, um, barrel aged stout. Uh, talk to me about some of, uh, of the other clean beers that you make and then, you know, what that kind of process of, building flavors looks like in those beers yeah um again from the recipe development side we're not trying to do anything too crazy i mean there are people there are really great recipes for old ale or you know really great recipes for barley wine that you can look at and you know see parallels between i mean obviously applying everything to the knowledge that we have from just you know batch to batch that we've learned um starting with you know, again, not going too crazy complex with these things. Um, and with barrel selection, um, be nice to your barrel dealer, get the good, (laughs) (laughs) get the good stuff. I mean, and then, um, you know, I've heard a lot of noise and kind of other people, you know, lore around what you should, you know, what you should be doing with this. And, you know, it's, it's, um temperature controlling things and doing all this stuff that we just fill the barrels and let them sit and give them time i think that that's the thing is you know don't try to don't try to fiddle with things too much you know you just let them sit and let them let them go and that's been the approach and that's it's worked for us so far so um you know gravity where do you end up on that i mean you know certainly when you're barrel aging beers that uh are of lower lower gravities you can end up with uh you know, again, there's that common, um, you know, kind of approach of making sure that you're putting higher gravity, higher alcohol beers into kind of barrels in order to make sure that they don't spoil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if I recall, I, you know, I think you all, um, at least some of the ones that we've reviewed, have barrel aged beers on that lower end of the ABV spectrum, which, you know, might be a little bit risky. Yeah. I mean, so on the smaller side, we basically maxed out at 10%, what we could, what we could oh, get okay. out of it. Yeah. Like <laughs> that wasn't philosophically driven. That was purely production. <laughs> yeah, constraint that, was a, that was basically where we were at. So I think, you yeah. know, double max is normally somewhere around 9.9%. Uh, this year it'll probably be a little bit bigger because we're on the bigger side. I mean, I think with all the things that we have, that we've done on the bigger side so far, we've aimed for, you know, to have it be around 12 to 13%. Um, nothing, again, nothing too big. I mean, we're talking about barrel aged beers now, but I, I even think to like our double IPAs, most of them are like eight, eight and a half percent at most. Like we don't really do beers that, you know, these IPAs that are nine, 10, 11%. Uh, similar with the, some of these barrel aged beers, I mean, 10, 11, I mean, Bar- I mean, barley wine in, uh, what's the classic one? Uh, Fuller's, uh, what is Fuller's barley wine? It's like 7.8%. Um, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where it started as a capacity, I mean, production constraint, but now, you know. You kind of like what you ended you up with. kind of like what we ended up with, yeah. Sure, it's, sure. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk about business a little bit, uh, you know, because I know you guys are in the midst of, uh, you know, this kind of shift that you have installed a new brew house, 22 barrel uh, kind of capacity. You know, you've you've taken a, a big leap up from three and a half barrels to this. You know, you are, um, you know, canning beer. Obviously, everybody's, you know, canning beer, well, mm-hmm. packaging or canning beer in some sort of way over this past year. But you've, uh, you know, made a pretty big leap into that kind of direction. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, uh, you know, pushing the brewery into even newer directions and, uh, um, you know, uh, cause uh, kind of amplifying growth really quickly for mm-hmm. you. Talk to me about, uh, you know, some of those challenges that you're facing and uh, problems that you're solving these days. Yeah, I well, so we're now in May and our taproom is still not open. Yeah. Um, so we are still doing beer to go. Is that due to law or is that due to choices? Choices. Um, okay. We've thought a lot about what kind of the future of retail is going to look like. And, um, you know, we've put a lot of time and energy into that and are being, you know, it's it's a bummer because it's we love having people down here and in the space. And uh, it's great to have folks being able to drink draft and all that. But we've really focused on um, still having beer to go down here so people can still come to Braddock, but then really building out kind of the, the other arms of our business right now with distribution and all that, and really, really trying to rethink what our experience is going to be, not just our taproom experience, but the entire, you know, retail experience of Brew Gentlemen. Uh, and that's, those are, I've got more questions than answers right now, but I think <laughs> it's one of those, uh, we will reopen it's just how and kind of what it's going to look like. And it will look different than what the tap room was originally. What, uh, you know, in what way are you thinking about that? Um, I think a little bit for a little bit of time, it kind of, we got away from the core experience of, you know, we became, I mean, even with a, a brewery's hours, you know, we were open super late on weeknights and on weekends. And it was like, that's not what we're trying to do here. Like, let's have people come down here for taste, pick up beers and stuff, and then say, go to a restaurant that has our beer on draft for dinner. Like, you know, it's starting there. And even just thinking of like what, you know, as we continue to welcome people back into Braddock again, what that experience looks like too. Um, That was something we were really intentional about with lines, like with all of our barrel age releases and stuff. We were very conscious of, you know, a lot of people liked forming lines. We tried to avoid it because we're still in a town that's, uh, economically depressed. We're still in a, you know, uh, we're still trying to be conscious of our neighbors. You know, Braddock is small, you know, we've got 2000 people who live in Braddock. And so you do a, you know, you do a releasing a line of 200 people out the door, you're increasing the population by 10% and the craft beer line stands out in our neighborhood. Um, so I think we're just continuing to be conscious of that and thinking through how do we, how do we be a community spot space as well? Um, and it's, Again, like I said, we've got more questions than answers right now, but we're asking ourselves those questions and and how that all plays out. And a lot of people might not have to think through these same problems, right? Like depending on where you're located, these might not be the questions on your plate and these might not be the considerations you have to make. But for us, it's something that we, it is. It is interesting to see that, you know, breweries are addressing these questions with different kinds of answers. You know, there Mm -hmm. are at the same time, um, breweries in many states that are opening more tap rooms, opening more places for people to buy beer directly from from that brewery, um, you know, and, and taking the exact opposite strategy, you know, that, mm-hmm. that you're looking at there. Um, 
you know, but at the same time, it is interesting to see, like, you know, when I started drinking craft beer, or I should say, when I when I lived in um, you know New York City for uh, from two thousand to or two thousand one to to twenty ten, like you know, you go to a brewery and you you didn't hang out there. You mm-hmm. got tasters and a growler. Yep. They they couldn't sell you beer, and so you know you would you would taste some beers and you know hang out for twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and try a few things. And then you'd put your growler order in of what it, what you tried, and then you took the beer home and you drank it wherever you drank it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know this kind of modern era of the of the tap room as a as a pub is, you know it's it's a, a not necessarily the way that that's always been done. Having said that, I mean I, I like both of those models. I love going I to a brew pub and, and mm-hmm. you know ordering food and ordering you know drinking beer that a brewer made and uh you know i do love this tap room kind of experimentation and uh, mm-hmm. exploration kind of approach and uh you know but it's also curious now and i'm wondering from your perspective as we look at the kind of shipping and distribution and getting beer all over the country or at least even shipped within your state kind of approach where a lot of breweries have moved to over this past year that has to also change the way that you think about this kind of thing because now mm-hmm. people can relate to your brand in different kinds of ways and you know what does that destination experience look like for the guy who lives across or the woman who lives on the other side of the state and then mm-hmm. wants to come see the place where you know the beer that, she, that she's ordered you know is brewed like how do you you know what what does that experience look like yeah we one of the things early on we asked ourselves was how do we trans late the taproom experience online how do we you know how do we scale the experience that people have had here to people who can't make it down here and now with purchasing options like you said you know we're in pennsylvania so we can ship statewide there's a few other states that we can ship to that are very close by um if they do become a customer through that first online interaction then how do they interact with our brand in its physical space um and making sure that you know they mirror each other um that's a huge problem to solve right now for any brand uh, I, you know, in any industry is how do you, sure. how do you have that online presence, um, reflect kind of what's going on in the physical space day to day? Um, how has this past year of packaging beer and shipping beer impacted the volumes of the different beers that you make? Have you found that this audience consuming in this kind of way buys beer in different volumes than they may have the prior year? Mm. Not necessarily. I would say that we're seeing similar. I mean, you've got people that will just, you know, every week order, you know, three, four packs and you've got people that are ordering two cases at a time. Like uh, I haven't I haven't seen any patterns like that emerge too crazily. Um, but it's one thing that we thought with, you know, statewide shipping is, oh, more people will want the classic styles because, you know, it's the broader audience. It's like, no, it's the people, the people that are <laughs> order, paying to ship beer are the ones that just fill up their entire box full of hops. So, um and you know, great. We've we've got a lot of, a lot of that stuff to offer. So uh, nothing, nothing, no other like crazy trends have emerged from that, other than the fact that you know that's now an option for people and sure. um, something that we're excited about. I mean, it's basically uh, this this idea of like it's in, it's infinite shelf space, right? If you don't have to fight for distribution points and because you can ship directly to the customer, that's a that's a new win for small brewers. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And something that we're all going to have to continue to engage in, in in deeper ways as these laws continue to evolve and, uh, you know, allow for greater freedom and, and uh, you know, alcohol sales. Like, thank goodness 
we've been getting rid of through this past year, some of the more onerous restrictions on alcohol sales in, in a lot of states. Not, Of course, it's not universal, but uh, um, we may get to some sort of fluid free market. It's going to be amazing to see uh, you know, just how that looks down the road. Um, Matt, the way we generally end the podcast is with, you know, a bigger picture question zooming out. And for you um, and Brew Gentleman, what does success look like? When will you know that you've achieved it and uh, mm-hmm. how do you define it? Yeah, I um, I think that that's a it's a great question. And it's it's something that we've we've thought a lot about and, you know, our even our long term plans with the new facility. Um, but for us, I think first and foremost, we we really want General Braddock's to be Pittsburgh's IPA. We want that to be the beer that the city that we're in is proud of, that they're you know proud to share, that it's something that is you know regionally uh, people are excited about. Um, and I think that ensuring that the beer that we're making continues to follow how we're describing it, so that you know what it says is really what you get. That there's you know that it's a form of integrity, right? You know when we say a soft and balanced beer and you drink it and you're like, oh yeah, that is soft. That I totally get what they mean by that. Um, you know, there's a lot of, especially over the last few years, we've seen a lot of ridiculous language in all facets of life, whether it's beer marketing or, you know, uh, on television or in other types of media, uh, you know, these over promises, these ridiculous language, things that like beer can't even, you know, some of these, you know, beer descriptions, I'm like, how does a beer even live up to that? Um, we want to make sure that, you know, our actions and our, our beers are, are following our words and how, how we talk about it. I think that that's, um, you know, something that we're, we're really excited about and, and continuing to want to deliver, to continue to have soft and balanced beers, to continue to have, you know, things like General Braddock's be something that you can come back to and, and have that continue to be reflected. And in, in that would be a huge amount of success for us, I think, is that form of integrity. How much change is required over time to maintain that? that you know consumers change and their palates change mm-hmm. and also in order to achieve that it's not necessarily one goal but it's a constant evaluating of where you are you know and how your customers respond to it mm-hmm. against that kind of uh, you know kind of metric um you know how do you do that that's the work that's that's the that's the that's the constant challenge right that's showing up every day that's the consistency that's the i mean i think that's the nice thing with you know even just our definition of balance is something that we can always strive for right and uh you know every we're constantly going to be uh readjusting to that so you just get a little bit better at solving the challenges as they get harder but that's that's the work and that work is never done nope G&D Chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. Set your compass by RAR North Star Pills. Benefit from the scale of Old Orchard. Set up your account on marketmybrewery.com today. SS Brewtech is advancing brewing equipment design, performance, and quality, and gain peace of mind with Clarion Lubricants. Of course, if you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on the subscribe button if you're a pro brewer. Uh, Try our all-access pro subscriptions to combine the magazine's exclusive online content and more. Um, Matt, if people want to learn more about Brew Gentlemen, uh, or even if they live in a state uh, that you might ship to, um, where do they find you? Brewgentlemen.com. That's M-E-N. And at Brewgentlemen slash Brewgentlemen on everything else. Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks for talking with me on the podcast today. It's uh, it's been a pleasure, uh, just as drinking your beer is always a pleasure, too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jamie. Yeah, cheers.
This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.